The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Perez, Santana, Santana makes the catch. Ball game. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, good evening once again, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com as we sit back and talk about this week, the World Series. Tonight is a night off, and we will have a world champion by next week's final show of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. The Cleveland Indians and Chicago Cubs, well, it is a 3-2 to advantage by the Cleveland Indians as the series heads back to Game 6 tomorrow night in Progressive Field with the Indians on top of it, as I said, three games to two. And let's bring on our resident Cincinnati Reds expert, Mark Donahue. And Mark, as we were talking before we went on the show tonight, the ratings for Major League Baseball, it is a surprise. This is the highest rated World Series in the last 20 years, and they beat the... Sunday night football game last night in ratings, and it was a Dallas-Philadelphia football game. I, I'm surprised at that. I really am surprised. I'm not surprised, uh, only in the fact that I can't recall, and I'm not a neutral observer here, because actually I like both teams. I lived in Chicago for 10 years. I have an affinity for the Cubs. Uh, in fact, our team, our our touring team, was a, we wore Cub uniforms, so I got to know some of the guys. And but I'm a Cleveland Indians fan too, so it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I guess I'll be disappointed that one team has to lose. But Dave, I, I don't remember a, a World Series that has had so much tension in it. That that one to nothing game was that on Friday night. Yes, uh, that that was the most intense, nerve-wracking game, and I'm not uh, like I can imagine what you went through as an Indians fan. <laughs> I mean, every pitch was important, and every ground ball was immense in terms of not just that game or this World Series, but we're we're talking now about a hundred years of baseball history that's impacted by these two teams. Uh, with the Indians in 1948 and the Cubs in 1908, uh, all those things, you know, go into this this brew of excitement and and, and, and tenseness. Did, did you do you think this is unusual, or, or you can't be objective because you're an Indians fan? <laughs> I can't be an objective observer because I'm an Indians fan. But Mark, I've got to agree with you that every pitch in this series seems to have some extra pressure behind it. And, you know, I was watching last night's game, the 3-2 to Cubs win, and I want to talk about, there are some certain things I want to talk about as this series has gone along. One of them is the broadcasting that Fox has done throughout this series. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, you know, Mark, when you look at this, I thought in last night's game, 
that had the Indians tied that thing up in the eighth inning. And they had Rajay Davis at third base in the eighth inning with two outs. Had Lindor been able to come up with a base hit or a wild pitch or whatever where the Indians would have tied that game, I thought the weight of the world would be on the Chicago Cubs' shoulders because up to that point, Mark, if you had just turned into the broadcast, you would have thought that the Cubs were beating the heck out of the Indians. And it was just a one-run ball game, and that would have tied things up. And I'm telling you, Mark, I think the wind would have gone out of the sails in Wrigley Field. Well, the fans certainly would have been uh, very disappointed. And, uh, you know, yet you're, psychologically, you're absolutely right. I, I don't think it would have impacted the players. They, they certainly would have known if it was a tie game going into the ninth inning, they had a chance, they had home field advantage, all those things. But, again, every every pitch, every play has so much import on, on this that I, I have some friends who were texting me during the game, and they they were at the game, and they couldn't watch it. They had to shut their eyes. They, they, they were so nervous. They they had waited for, you know, a, a hundred years to have a chance to win a World Series, and it's so nerve-wracking, they can't watch there. I think that's just indicative of what this series has has meant to the country, really, and that's why I'm not surprised that the ratings are so high. It, it has been a fun World Series to watch on both sides. You know, I mean, you can look at this and you can say that, hey, you know, the Cubs are down 3-1, to one, now they're down three games to two. But last night, when you look at that game, Mark, okay, Chris Bryant finally came up with his first home run. Fair enough. You know, Anthony Rizzo came up immediately after with the double. It's the first time in this series where they've had back-to-back hits. But still, the Indians pitching, you can look at Trevor Bauer and you can say, hey, like Terry Francona said after the game last night, Trevor Bauer made one mistake in that inning. Just one. And that was the home run to Chris Bryant. It got too much of the plate. But the next pitch to Rizzo where he got the double to right field, that was a good pitch. The only other two hits that they had in the inning were a bunt by Baez and a swinging bunt. And those were the only two hits. So, yeah, Trevor Bauer lost the game. He got the L. But he still did not pitch badly in that game. And the rest of the Indian staff out of the bullpen, Shaw, uh, 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 Clevenger, and Cody Allen came in and pitched two good innings of relief, which was expected last night that Francona would flip-flop him and Miller and Allen would go the two innings instead of Miller. I thought the Indians still did a good job coming out of the pen and on the mound in last night's game. Look, the pitching, except for the one game where the Indians blew them out, the pitching has been superb. And uh, that's the other thing you have to look at. Everyone says there's not there's not enough hitting. Well, it's because these are the two best pitching staffs in baseball, and that's what you expect, and that's why it makes it such an exciting series. And I don't see anything changing the last two games, or hopefully, in your case, the last game that would indicate a change in that. Uh, these are two ex- really well-structured pitching staffs, and I mean the, the starting rotation and I mean the bullpen. And I'm going to get back to something that you and I discussed a month ago when I brought up the concept of having a three- or four-inning starter going every game, and then you bring your bullpen on matchups. And that's exactly what uh, Francona has done. He, he has relied on his starters, that guys, give me four or five innings, that's all I need. 
and then I'll bring in these guys. You know, he brought in Cody Allen early last night. Didn't bring in Miller, and but he's he's reversed that. And I love the fact that Madden brings in Chapman in the seventh inning. I mean, that's... Mark, I want to know when when did you talk to Joe Madden about that last week? <laughs> when did he call you? And when did he you know when did he say, Mark? What is that thing you've been saying on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show now for two years? How how often to use Chapman and for how long? That's right. Well, I hate to say I told you so, but Dave, I told you so. <laughs> and this idea, and they even talked about it last night, that in the future, because success breeds copycats, you're going to have pitching coaches and managers saying, look, I don't need to have my starter go seven or eight or nine innings. I don't. I don't. They go four or five. I'm fine with that because then the, the the batting order only sees my pitcher once or one and a half times, and I can bring in a left-hander if I get three left-handers coming up out of the bullpen. Let him go an inning, inning and a third. If I need my closer to come in and face a tough situation in the seventh inning, bases loaded, two out. I need I need an out. I need a strikeout. Bring him in then. And I, I, I'm telling you, next year and in, for the next two or three years, you're going to see pitching staffs change their approach because, number one, the starters are getting hurt at an alarming rate, and it's because they throw too many pitches. And look at Homer Bailey. What could Homer Bailey do uh, if he were a spot reliever or a spot starter? Let him pitch three or four innings. Bring him in the fifth inning to face – uh, a right-hand lineup, but let him throw two or three innings, and mix and match your pitching staff. You would stay, you would save your starters, and with if you had a 13-man pitching staff, which some teams do, you could craft that just like Francona has done. And I think he, I don't know if he did it intentionally or he did it out of necessity, but what he does with Miller and Cody Allen is 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 a beautiful thing to watch. I mean, it really is, because he's thinking two or three innings ahead. And if he, if, in other words, if he gets Miller to get him out of a tough spot in the fourth, fifth, or sixth inning, he may keep, keep him in for an extra inning. And he may not need Cody Allen at the end. But if he does, he knows he's got him. If he doesn't need him, you bring in a secondary pitcher, one of your secondary guys. And, I mean, I, I think it's a brilliant way to do it. And what Madden did last night is a is an offshoot of that. He brings in Chapman. Chapman had never thrown more than 44 pitches in a game in his entire career, and last night he comes in and throws 40. Well, of course, it's, it's a World Series. You expect him to do that. But imagine if the Reds had done that with Chapman. Uh, it just it, it makes it's just maddening how they mismanaged one of the great arms in the history of baseball. And now somebody else is going to, you know, is taking advantage of that. And the, the Reds were just so, so stupid in the way they handle that guy that, uh, you know, they go by the rule, they go by the book. And, and, and I think Madden and Francona have rewritten the book. And yet, Mark, I wish I could find the tape on it. I searched high and low all day long to find the tape on this. Terry Francona says, you cannot manage this way in the regular season. I heard that. It can't be done. I heard him say that, and you can't do it. I agree with the way pitching staffs are, are, are structured now because 
it's still structured with the mindset we're going to have five starters and we're going to have seven relievers or eight relievers and that's how we're going to we want our starters to go seven or eight innings and that's the way we're going to do it because they've always done it that way but if you have these two pitching staffs do what they did and, and maybe Andrew Miller is is an exception because he could be a, he was a closer he was a very effective closer and but he's also gone short relief he's gone long relief he's gone closer and if you start building your pitching staff around that kind of player a guy that kind of pitcher who can who can give you more discretion on how you use them i think it changes the entire dynamic of a team and a pitching staff and you know what's interesting is that Andrew Miller said in, a, in an interview over the weekend that it didn't work in New York. What Terry Francona is doing right now with the Indians' bullpen could not happen in New York when he was a part of the Yankee bullpen because Chapman would not do anything but close, and Betances was upset over the fact that he was not given the opportunity to close and here was Miller caught in between those two saying, I'll do whatever it is that you want me to do. So there was complete unrest in New York over the way that Girardi was using the three relievers. That's, you know why, Dave? Because it's based on compensation. Because you reward starters and you re- reward closers. It's the middle guys who don't get as much money. If you change the dynamic and the value of these players like, like Miller, you think Miller's going to get a pay cut because he's pitching in the seventh or eighth inning or sixth inning? No, he won't because he's a lockdown reliever. He comes in and gets outs. And if if they started valuing that more, and the closer is the most overrated player on a team, that that designation of closer adds millions of dollars to their to their contract at the end of the year. And in Chapman's case, Madden basically said, "I don't give a damn whether you want to close or not. You'll you'll come in when I tell you to come in." And you know that if Gatman has that attitude, he shouldn't be on the pitching staff. Get rid of him, because what Madden can do with Chapman, as needed, is more important than Chapman pitching at the, the you know the ninth inning when they've got a three-run lead. Who can, I mean, ninety-five percent of the pitchers in baseball would get out of that inning if you give him a three. You give a major league pitcher a three-run lead going into the ninth inning. Enormous majority of them will get out of that, and to, and to waste money on a Chapman in the ninth inning when you've got a big lead is absurd. When you might need them, and need him in the sixth, seventh, or eighth inning to come in and put out a fire. Oh, I, I agree with you. And you know, you brought up the fact that Terry Francona flip flopped Cody Allen and and Andrew Miller. You know, he did that in the playoffs, and, and we talked about that. <clears throat> The last game against Toronto, Mark, where he did that, and and I thought from watching it on TV that it completely befuddled John Gibbons, that he did not expect Francona to do it that day. And then yesterday when he brought in Cody Allen, that was strictly from the standpoint that Miller had thrown two innings the day before and Allen won, so he wanted to give Allen the opportunity to go ahead and throw the two innings because he wanted to give Miller the rest and throw only one if it came down to that in the bottom of the ninth inning. Now, you talk about how relievers feel after doing that. Cody Allen talked about how he felt after doing that after last night's game. 
I think everybody feels great. I feel great. It's, uh, you know, surprisingly, I feel better than I anticipated I would. I've never been in this situation before, so. But I, I feel pretty good. I think a lot of guys feel pretty good. And I think it was a smart thing for Francona to do, Mark. I, I, he's he's totally using the bullpen to their utmost capabilities without overworking them. Yeah, and I, and I think that's exactly what I'm talking about. <clears throat> if you have a a 13 man pitching staff and you mix and match, I mean, I, I would out of that 13 man pitching staff, I might designate five guys who would be my quote unquote starters, only to start the game because maybe it's a matchup. Maybe a team has several left hand hitters at the at top of their rotation, so I would bring in. My, my, you know, my left-hander to face them for three or four innings, and then after that, go to my right-hander, who might be, you know, at the bottom end of the rotation. And then you could also manage by the score. In other words, if you if you go up seven to nothing in the first three innings, that might change how you use your pen. You'd rest the guys that you want to rest, and you bring in people that you think can get, give you an inning or two with a big lead, or you get behind if you're behind seven or eight runs. You know that that change. You don't waste your pitching staff. You you bring them into situ, situational situations uh, rather than just dictating. Go out there and pitch seven innings, no matter what. I, I honest to God, I think this is going to be at some point, whether it's next year, next five years. It's a very logical way to run your pitching staff. Get outs. That's what you're supposed to do. Go get outs. Shut the hell up and go get outs. Well, and it may be a lot sooner than it is later because, Mark, look at these coaching staffs between these two teams, the Cubs and the Indians, and how many managerial openings there are. Maybe not right now, but we both think there's going to be a lot more managerial openings after this World Series. You look at, you've got two coaches right now on the Indians in Sandy Alomar Jr., and the way that the Indians have pitched this year, Mark, I gotta believe that Mickey Calloway, the Indians pitching coach, is gonna be right up there for some managerial openings. And another guy on the Cubs staff that is, I think, has been overlooked as a managerial candidate, whether Major League Baseball is overlooking him or he really doesn't want a managing job, is Dave Martinez. He's been Joe Madden's right hand man now for what, the last ten years? Because he followed him from Tampa Bay over to Chicago, and he's been his bench coach now, I think, for the last 10 years. There are three guys right there that if they get managerial jobs during the offseason, Mark, you could see the tenor of baseball and the way that you're talking about, the way they handle pitching staffs, change overnight next year. Well, I, obviously, as I said before, winning begets copycats. and But, but it also is common sense. And a lot of the old-time baseball managers – They've been around for 40 or 50 years in the game, and they're so jaundiced by, by history. They, they don't think outside the box. They're afraid to think outside the box. And, you know, with, with the Reds management and general manager, they were so locked in to how to use a guy like Chapman that they let him dictate what, what he should do. Chapman should have been a starter, number one. He, he, would, have been, he would have been one of the highest paid pitchers in baseball. Uh, with his stuff, he would have developed other stuff. He would have developed a changeup, uh, and with his overpowering strength and, and power, uh, he he would have been one of the great starting pitchers of all time. But they didn't. When they had a chance to direct him, they didn't. 
they let him direct what he wanted to do, and it's going to end up hurt. It's going to hurt Chapman, and it certainly hurt the team. Well, you're absolutely correct there, but you know, Terry Francona's World Series record, Mark, this is unbelievable. He's 11 and two in World Series games that he has managed in. He's got the two sweeps with the Red Sox, and now he's up three to two over the Cubs. But the most the move that I think was left him most wide open for criticism ever was putting Carlos Santana in left field. Did you about fall off your chair when you saw that the Indians were going to do that? Yeah, and did you see the fly ball? Yeah, I guess yes. it was yesterday. It looked like he was going to fall on his face before he caught that ball. I mean, you, you really are taking a chance. But you need to have him in the lineup, and I, I, he got away with it. Uh, and that's what I love about Francona and I love about Madden. They take chances. They do stuff. I mean, bringing Schwarber in. He, he hadn't played all year. Bringing him in, he, what's he have, three or four hits in the World Series? And, uh, I mean, Madden does that stuff. He's unconventional, and so is Francona. And I really love that about those guys. And they're, they're not in that old – Mindset. I mean, they're, they're older guys, but I mean, they, they have fresh thinking and, and they're willing to take a chance, and that's why they are where they are. And you know, Santana, when he catches the fly ball out in left field, you notice that the glove never comes up above his shoulder because that glove is so huge he can't lift it above his shoulder. <laughs> well, that you know, thing is a breadbasket out there, Mark. I know, and I dread to think what he would would happen if a ball was hit in the oh. gap that he had to go after because he, he couldn't. The only way a Santana can play a left field is if you got Billy Hamilton in center field. I mean, that's what you're you're telling Billy. Billy, get everything from left center to center, and, and you know, and stay out of Santana's way because he'll kill you if he hits you. But um, I mean, you can't put 34 home runs on the bench. You just can't. Not in the World Series. No, no, and you know the last time that. That Carlos Santana played the outfield was in 2012. That was in right field, and that was because that bastion of baseball knowledge, Manny Acta, decided that that was a good place to put him. You notice nobody ever put him back out there until five years later. Well, and only by necessity. And yeah, you know he can't. He really can't catch. Uh, he can't play third. He can't play outfield. He maybe could play first. Uh, but you know he's he's a one-dimensional player, but that dimension is valuable to that team. And again, I, I tip my hat to Francona to say, go out there and don't don't mess up. I was surprised that the move they didn't make was put Santana at third and move Ramirez out to left field. That's the one that I thought they were going to make. Oh, I think you can do and, a lot less damage uh, in left field than third base. I mean, third base, you can you, know, you, you can have five, six ground balls to third base a game, and his, you know, he could he could hurt you a lot more with bad throws and, and misgrounders and that kind of thing in left field. You might have you know two, three fly balls to left, and typically most fly balls to the outfield are routine. Anybody can catch. It's only when you need that that great throw or that great you know, run into the gap to to haul down a line drive. If that would have happened, then Francona would have been taking a lot of heat from from everybody. But again, he he took a chance, and to win a World Series, you got to take lots of chances. Mark, here's my point: baseball. Rob Manfred has to do something 
about the designated hitter rule. It finally, it has to be done. You cannot continue to go like this, especially when you're playing interleague games during the regular season. This, this crappy rule, and I don't care which way they go. I really don't, Mark. I don't care if they get rid of it or if they keep it. But it has got to be uniform amongst both leagues, especially in interleague play. Well, I, I don't think they can get rid of it. I think if they're going to do anything, you make the designated hitter part of the World Series because I think it's going to disadvantage uh, the National League if they if they get rid of it. I mean, the American League, if they get rid of it. Uh, too too much because their their whole roster is based on having the DH. They're not used to number one the pitchers haven't hit. Uh, number two, they have a person on their on their roster that is a DH, and that would hurt them if they did away with it. So I think that what they probably do is say let's have the DH in the World Series or throughout the playoffs. And that's fine. And besides the point, if they didn't have the DH in this series, Mark. What would Joe Buck get so excited about? He couldn't talk about Kyle Schwarber anymore. I mean, this guy has had such a, a, I mean, I have never heard Joe Buck sound so excited since his wedding night. And his wife would probably say he's, I'm, I'm correct. This guy has been so much, he has been so excited over Kyle Schwarber. I just cannot believe that a man could have that much of a man crush on another one and still be heterosexual. Well, what got me about him is so there's, a, there's a base hit to left field. He goes, and there's a base hit to left field. Oh. As if it's, hey, there's two out, there's nobody on base, and you're ahead by seven runs. Who cares? I mean, he gets he's so overamped, like artificially. Uh, and the guy I do like is, uh, what's his name, uh, the pitcher? John Smoltz. John Smoltz. I, think, I agree. He's, I think he's one of the best I've ever heard. He really knows the game. He's been a reliever. He's been a starter, and he he's he's lucid. He's calm. I, I think he's one of the best right now. I mean, you know, I I I read an article about two months ago that Joe Buck, a St. Louis guy, said that he was excited to be able to call a Chicago Cubs World Series. He was really looking forward to that. Mark, I've never been a Joe Buck fan. I loved his dad. I thought his dad was absolutely outstanding. And you and I have talked about announcers going down the road. And, you know, Joe Buck to me is, you know, kind of an offshoot of his father. He uses a lot of the same cliches. He doesn't do his own thing. He's basically, you know, if his dad wouldn't have been an announcer, Mark, I don't think he'd be the head announcer for Fox Sports. Let's Let's just call it the way it is. But the fact of the matter is, the over-excitement that they have been doing to constantly promote the Cubs. For example, that home run by Chris Bryant last night, I have never heard Joe Buck sound so excited since the night that he called the home run and basically emulated his father in saying, we'll see you tomorrow night. Yeah, I have never I heard that. him sound that excited. Well, you, you know, I, I think for Cubs fans, it was an exciting moment only because of the fact that he'd been in a slump, and having him hopefully come back to life, you know, does require some excitement. But I think you have to pick your spots, and I think an announcer. And I remember hearing this when I was in speech class um, that you, you want to build your pace, and I think the guy 
uh, who who does that very well is the Dodgers announcer. Um, you know, I, I think he was Vince Scully. Vince Scully. He he slowly builds up as he, a home run in the second inning is not as exciting as a home run in, in the ninth inning. It never is. Right. But if you do it all the same all the time, and that's that's what I think most announcers do, they get overhyped too soon. They don't build their cadence and their approach to a call with the game. And I, I I've, mean, heard, fl- I've heard Go announcers ahead, make sorry. that mistake you know, for, for, for decades, and it, it's surprising that they're not more cognizant of that. Even fly balls to the warning track, Mark, by the Cubs are exciting. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> By Joe Buck. Yeah. Now, I do think that Fox totally blew it last night. They've got Pete Rose sitting there on their pregame show. And the play that David Ross and Anthony Rizzo came together to where they Ross bobbled the foul ball and Rizzo caught it. They had Pete Rose sitting right there on their set, Mark, and they didn't go back to that 1980 World Series where Pete and Bob Boone did the same exact thing, almost in the same exact spot. And they didn't talk about it. Yeah, that, that's that. I didn't think about that, but you're right. I, I remember that. Was that Bob Boone who who Bob Boone who dropped, yeah. who popped it up, and Pete came over and was just standing there as an innocent bystander, and Pete caught the ball, same way Rizzo did last night. Yeah, yeah. So that that was a, a memorable moment missed, and it probably because they just didn't remember it. You know, it has been. What, I'm surprised they didn't ago. bring it up. Yeah. Just off the set, yeah. just, you know, I did the same thing, and then somebody would have had to say, "Oh yeah, let's get that tape." Yeah, you know, you're right. But you know, because Pete's right there. Here's my point, Mark, and I made it last night on Facebook. I'm going to make it here on tonight's show. Fox's network mantra is what? Fair and balanced. You decide. Mm-hmm. This has been anything but fair and balanced. Hashtag, you decide. <laughs> that that's my whole point well, about it. If there's a if there's a defense for Fox, it's because that the the Indians have won a World Series more recently than the Cubs, and the Cubs that they are a an iconic franchise. Only because they've lost so long, they haven't won a world's. They, they've gone the longest of any professional team in history, not just baseball, any team in history of not winning a championship. So I think they're playing that up as as they, not surprisingly, uh, Fox is. But you know, after all, this is a a series of not two losing franchises because the Indians have won more frequently. But I, I'm going to ask you a delicate question. Uh, how would you rate the failure of the Indians to win one of the next two games compared to 95 and 97? I think it would be a total collapse on the Indians' part, and I'm glad you brought that up because it leads me into something else that I wanted to talk about. But here's why I think it would be a total – it would be worse than 95. See, I, I talked to you about this last week, Mark, that – Were the Cubs in trouble of coming into this World Series for the first time since 1945, having the best record in baseball? I compared that to the 1995 Indians when they did the same thing. And I said, at that point in time, 
the Indians, in retrospect, were just happy to be in the World Series. They weren't in it to win it entirely. I'm almost thinking that that is the correct way when I look at the Cubs. They're happy to be there. Okay? They're, they're ready. They think they're ready to win, but in retrospect, when they look at this, if they do end up losing it, when they look back on it, they may say, you know, hey, we were just happy to be there. Then in 97, when the Indians got back into the World Series, 96 was, they had the best record in baseball again, didn't win, didn't even get into the World Series. 97, they weren't expected to get to the World Series, but did. And they end up losing in seven games to Florida. I think this would be worse because the last two games were in Florida. These last two games are going to be in Cleveland, and the Indians only have to win one of two games. Now, the Cubs are down, were down three games to one. Do you know who the last team was, Mark, to come back from a three games to one deficit and win the World Series? Miami? The 1985 Kansas City Royals. Oh, that's right. The famous uh, six game. Exactly. Okay. They were the last one. That's one thing. Okay. The Cubs are going to have to do that, and it hasn't been done since 1985, almost 21 years. Well, more than that, 31 years ago. Okay. Now, that and the Indians have not lost three more than three games in a row all year long. So now they would have to lose three games in a row to lose this World Series after going up three to one. And Chris Bryant talked about that aspect after last night's game. Why not us? I mean, that's kind of our, you know, uh, we, I feel like we play our best with our backs up against the wall. So, um, you know, we went out there today, took care of business. You know, hopefully we can get out there and win the game, win game six because, you know, you never know what can happen in, in a game seven. So, um, you know, but we're all about writing our own history. You know, this team is, is a special one and, um, you know, you, we look at so many times throughout the year where, you know, we, we haven't been playing good, but I feel like, you know, we turn that around. Um, I saw something, I don't know, someone told me today that, you know, 17 times this year we, we lost a game and we went on to win three in a row. So, why can't we do that now? Well, hopefully that's not going to happen. But to answer your question, Mark, I think this would be worse, especially more tremendously more so than 95, more so than 97, because it's at home. And the Indians, I think, boy, they've got Corey Kluber going in Game 7 if it gets to a Game 7. I, I think this would just be a total collapse. I, I remember 2007 when they were up 3-1 to one on Boston, and Boston came back with Terry Francona as manager and beat the Indians three in a row to win that series and go to the World Series and beat Colorado four games to none. That was disappointing. I think this would be more so than that and even more so than 97. Let me ask you another question about, <clears throat> I guess, history. You look at where the Cubs and the Indians are right now in terms of their organizations and, and the youth, on the, certainly the youth on the Cubs, but the pitching staff on the, the Indians. And let, let's say, let's give a couple options here. The Cubs lose one of these next two games and the Indians win the World Series. What impact do you think that loss has on the Cubs going forward? 
I think it's going to be the same as the 95 team. First of all, I think um, I think it's going to drive them. I, I think the Cubs losing the World Series drives them more than the Indians losing the World Series. I think no matter what happens with the Indians, they are going to be driven for next year because of this. They've got two of their top pitchers in Carrasco and Salazar who weren't able to pitch in this series. Salazar pitched an inning. Okay, you can go ahead and say that. But he wasn't able to pitch to his capabilities in this World Series, Mark. I think the Indians are already going to be driven for next year. What they do with Napoli and Santana is a different story. But I also think that for the Cubs, I think both of these teams are going to lose a starting pitcher. I think the Indians are going to lose Trevor Bauer by trade. I think the Cubs are going to lose a starting pitcher in John Lackey because I think they're just going to let him go. He's on a one-year deal. He's going to be a free agent. I think they're just going to let him go. Yes, but arguably, if that's the case, let's say you're right about that. The Cubs have the money to go out there and get another number one starter. Keep in mind, they've also got Jason Hamill sitting there that hasn't been on their roster throughout the last two series, and he won 15 games. That's my point. I mean, they they can replace Lackey more easily than I think the Indians can replace. They lose two guys Um, hit 68 home runs this year. That's going to be hard to replace. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I agree with you there. But I think they could trade Trevor Bauer and get a hitter. Whether it's not whether or not it's going to be the, a hitter, the capabilities of a Napoli or a Santana, I don't know. But I think I think Trevor Bauer is going to leave this team via trade because you've got Clevenger and Merritt that can step into that spot in the rotation and take it over. Well, and let, I don't think let, let me make my it. point here that I okay. think if the, if the Indians lose the series, or you know, let's take that out of the equation. No matter who wins or loses. I think over the next three years, there's there's a high probability that the Chicago Cubs are going to win 300 games regular season over the next three years. I don't see that with the Indians. I think there's too many changes are going to take place, and you know, you've got to everything has to go your way when you win a pennant. And I, I think a lot of things went their way this year. I mean, did you expect? That Napoli was going to hit 34 home runs and drive in 103 runs. I'll answer no. for you. You didn't. You were upset with that deal. You thought he was another retread coming in. So mm-hmm. they hit. They hit the mother load with that. I don't see that happening again for the Indians. I think the Indians, if they don't win now, I think they may find themselves on the outside looking in for the next two or three years. And I hope that's not true. But I look at the Cubs. And I see nothing but victory ahead of them because of their youth. Okay. here. All right. We're talking about youth. All right. There is no team that had more youth on it. And I keep going back and I correlate the Cubs with the 94-95 Indians. You can look at the Cubs a year ago and the Cubs this year, and they are almost identical to the the 1994-95 Cleveland Indians. They bludgeoned you to death, but they didn't know how to win in small ball. Now, Mark, you you can sit there and you can argue with me till you're blue in the face, but I'll tell you right now, the Cubs don't know how to, don't know how to win a game where they have to hit and run or bunt and run. I'm not, they don't I'm not denying do that. I'm not denying that. I'm saying regular season, next three years, the Cubs can win 300 games. 
I think the Indians will win few, far fewer than that over the next. Three and years. I think that's the, and that, I think that's the Cubs' problem. Well, how, how is that a problem? Because they're they're accumulating all these wins in the regular season, much like the Indians did. But when it comes down to winning close games, they can't do it. They don't know how to do it. Now that 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 entire perception will change in the next in the next seventy two hours if they go out there and win three to two and two to one to win the World Series. So you know, I no, I, I like last night for example. They did not win that game using small ball. How did they win last night? They hit a home run by Chris Bryant. They had a double by Rizzo. Okay, then they got a key base hit by by Zobrist. But they didn't win it by hitting and running and bunt and running. They didn't do it that way. No, I'm not saying they did. I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking bigger picture here. I'm talking organizational. Right. I, I think the Cubs are built to win long term because of their youth. And I will give you the fact they don't know yet how to, you know, win small ball. But they will. I mean, they, you know, Baez is an example. He, he is so raw. But he's so productive, even with that. He makes so many mistakes at the plate. He, he strikes out on pitches. He reminds me of Adam Dunn or, or, or Jay Bruce. He swings so wildly, but he'll get better at that. And the, the, the Cubs just have so much youth. And they've got a good farm system, too. So I think the Cubs are structured, and they have the money behind them. The Cubs could be a dominant player in Major League Baseball for the next decade. I just don't see that with the Indians. And mainly because of economics, and mainly because teams like the Reds and the Indians, they ebb and flow into uh, playoffs. Like the Reds are in it, what, three years in a row, some form of playoff, and now they've been out of it for three or four years. Now, the, the team that does that very well is the Cardinals. They're always in it. Now, they may not win it every year, but they're always in it. And I think that's what the Cubs are going to become, and, and I don't see that with the Indians Right now. Now, what's the most important facet of a baseball team? Pitching. Okay. The Indians have their entire starting rotation and their top three relievers signed up through the year 2020. I agree, but you're going to lose, you know, you're going to lose a big part. 25% of your hitters are going to be gone next year and your run production is going to be gone. Can you replace it? Yeah, I think you can. Michael Brantley will be back next year though. That's true. I just gonna, you took the words out of my mouth. That's going to right. be offset by Brantley. But everything I think with with the Cubs, they can afford to have big holes in their offense like you said, the ability to play small ball, but I think they'll get better. My point in saying this, I, I think the series to, to the Indians organization is far more important than it is to the Cubs. Because the Cubs fans know these guys, they're going to roll out there next year. They're going to win 100 games next year easy. I mean, it's not even going to be a stretch. This this team could win 105, 110 games. They're that good. They're going to get better. That's what's scary. They're going to okay, get now let me better. ask you this. Let me ask you this. They lose Chapman. Mm-hmm. Okay? Not a foregone conclusion that they're going to sign Chapman. They don't have anybody to replace Chapman. That was their problem early in the year. They really didn't have a dependable closer. Secondly, Jake Arrieta has come back to earth. Last year was an anomaly for him. He's come back to earth. He's 34 years old. And he he could come even further back to earth 
next year. John Lester, you know what, Mark? John Lester needs to go see a psychiatrist. <laughs> this guy lets everything bother him on the mound, and, you know, you just can't, you, you can't live that way. I mean, first of all, I've never seen a major league runner at first base get the leads that the Indians are getting on first base off of Lester, and he will not throw the ball over there. And how many stolen bases did the Indians have against Lester? And how many times have they been thrown out? They're, they're, they're two for four. Okay. They're thrown out 50% of the time. Right. Well, you would think, if Billy Hamilton was on against Lester, he's, he's still second and third every time he's on base. I agree. The Cubs don't. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The Cubs are, are perfectly fine with taking these big leads because the Indians are not running enough. Uh, they're not getting on against Lester. Well, they're getting the up, but when they do get on, they've been on with some good runners, and they don't steal. They, no, they really haven't. Not against Lester. That's that's the thing about it. Lester has been not as dominating as Kluber has been against the Cubs, but pretty darn close. And you know, I've got to give Lester a lot of credit. But I'll tell you what, Mark, his inability to throw to first base. It is really a detriment, and he's got to get over that before next year. Well, I, he's had this his whole career, really. But I, I don't see teams, the Dodgers particularly, I could not believe they did not take advantage of him more. I agree. I mean, it was unbelievable. Like, So what? You get thrown out. Make the guy nervous. Steal third. Make yeah. him think every time I give up a walk, it's a triple. And you know what? Contreras is not as good a catcher as Ross either. Well, he doesn't get rid of the ball quick enough. He's got no. a great, he's got a better arm. But Ross, I mean Ross, man, he he's like a cannon down there. He doesn't have. I bet if you put a speed gun on him, that uh, Contreras gets it down there faster. But he doesn't get rid of it quick enough. And it, and as much as Lester lets things get get in his way, upset him. I'm wondering how he'll react next year when Ross is not back. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, that that's a big thing for him, is Ross being his so-called personal catcher. But, you know, they, they Mark, they've got a lot of question marks in their pitching, same as the Indians do. They, they really do. Lester, you know, you've talked about him in the past. He's not exactly the most dependable guy that you could have on your, your staff. You know, it's interesting how the Cubs have gone about their rebuild, though. And, again, I... I... There may be teams copying this. The Cubs, when they drafted, I mean, I mean, look at their pitching staff. They didn't draft a lot of pitchers. They drafted position players. And they, they put together their roster on guys who could hit 30, 40 home runs, steal you a bunch of bases, play great defense. They figured those guys are out there every day. And then they went out through the free agent market and picked up Lackey and Lester and, and others. And they, they got Arietta in a trade. Uh, so, you know, they have not built their pitching staff the way other teams do, where they draft pitchers at the top, you know, number one, number two. Which was the formula for the 95 Indians. That's right. I just, again, you took the words out of my mouth. You can, you can go out and you can sign pitchers, but signing an everyday player I think is more important because they, by definition, they're there every day. And look what the Giants did. They went out and got Cueto last year, you know, to make a run. Those guys are always available. 
And I think the Cubs, as an example, I think they will re-sign Chapman, especially if they win it. If they come back and win this thing, uh, I think they will. The fans are going to demand they re-sign Chapman. So my, my whole point in bringing this up about where these teams are after the World Series is I think the Indians have to win they, for their fans, for the organization, for the city. If they lose now, I think it's going to have a detrimental effect on this team going forward. I, I think less so with the Cubs. I think if the Cubs lose, I think everybody knows, okay, next year and the year after, we're going to get our shot again. I'm not so sure about the Indians. I know you disagree, but I think the Indians are going to be more splintered after this season, win or lose, than the Cubs will be. Oh, I, I no. There is absolutely no doubt that I agree with you there because the Indians have a tremendous amount of question marks coming back, and I'm talking about Napoli and Santana. Do they keep both, do they keep one, or do they let both go? I totally agree with you in what you're saying, that the Cubs are not going to be a splintered, but for a totally different reason. The Cubs don't have the free agency problem that the Indians are going to have with Napoli and Santana. And the only reason they don't have the free agency problem is because all of their players are young and are not eligible for free agency again like the 95 Indians were. Well, that, that's that's why I bring up the point. I mean, I think there's a lot to discuss, but it, it becomes somewhat of a moot point because, you know, the, the winner or loser will be dictated by the two teams on the field. But <clears throat> I think psychologically and even business-wise, what happens to these organizations after this World Series, I think it's a different path. I think the Indians, to some degree, it's not a rebuild. That would be way overstating it. But they have big decisions to make in the offseason. Off I think the only decision the Cubs have to make is, are they going to re-sign Chapman? And if they win, I think it's a no-brainer. They're going to re-sign him and try and go for two in a row. If they lose, eh, <laughs> you know, it depends on, on what happens. Uh, but the, the, the Cubs are going to be at the top of the Central Division for a long time to come, unless – we are so we have so overrated their everyday players, and I, and I will say this: that what the Indian pitchers have done to the Cub hitters this year, you can bet every National League team is taking notes because they found holes in the bats of Chris Bryant, of Fowler, uh, of most of the, of the the hitters for the Cubs that were not found during the regular season. And the scouting reports are going to change. And, you know, Chris, I saw Chris Bryant. I, I knew what the Indians were doing. They throw him high fastballs, and he doesn't catch up. And he doesn't get on top of the ball, and he goes for him. And a lot of the, the Cub hitters will fish the slider, especially the right-hand hitters. And I didn't see that during the regular season. So the Indians have created a benchmark that the rest of the National League is going to use next year during the regular season. Who do you credit for that, Mark? Do you credit the scouts that the Indians have used, or do you credit the pitching coach? I think it's both. Uh, these are organizational strategies they use. So the scouts out there, they probably noticed, hey, during the regular season, some pitchers will pitch a certain way to, say, a Chris Bryant. And the Reds, I mean, I could never understand. They would throw this guy breaking balls down around his knees, and he was – he was teeing off on, he, you know, one game he went five for five, three home runs, two doubles, drove in eight, eight or nine runs, and they come back the next day and do the same damn thing. 
it's like they don't, what are you, stupid? Why would you pitch him that way? <laughs> and the Indians have completely changed the, the way that at least the Reds were pitching to Bryant. And I would assume the rest of the National League because he tore the league up. He's going to be the MVP. So you, these these showcases of what the Indians have done to that lineup uh, will be long remembered going forward. And, of course, you know, it's one thing to have a strategy. It's another thing to execute that strategy. And the Indians' pitching is so great that they've been able to execute the game plan. So it's it's not just the strategy. You have to have the studs who can do it. But that Indians pitching staff, I mean, it's the best I have seen. Uh, for, I, I can't remember a staff being that good. Can you? I mean, looking back on other teams, that, that team isn't perfect. It's got – I still think the Indians' defense is weak overall. But, <clears throat> I mean, that pitching staff is, is so good, and it's used so well. You can have some weaknesses in your lineup and on the field because your pitching is going to carry you. What's the difference between this pitching staff, the pitching staff that comes to mind when I talk about the Indians? What's the difference between this pitching staff and the Mark? Braves? No, I wasn't even going to go as far as the Braves. <laughs> okay. The the seventy two through seventy four Oakland A's. Well, uh, yeah, you, you had. Catfish Hunter, you had Bite of Blue, uh, Raleigh Fingers. You had a, an unbelievable staff back then. But th- that staff was up and down, I think, but it was more traditional. You had you had five start. Well, back then, I think they had four starters. Uh, four, they, Blue Moon Odom was the fourth. Yeah, you had four starters out there. Uh, it, it, it's a different era now. That's forty years ago. But to, in more more recent history, I, I look at the Indians and compare them to the, the Braves of the nineties with Smoltz, Maddox, and Glavin and, and the bullpen they had. I mean, the, the, to me, they didn't have a weak spot in that rotation or that bullpen. And that's how I see the Indians. I mean, I have not seen anybody in the playoffs rock the Indian staff. That one guy gets hit hard. I mean, they get give up a run or two, but they've been dominant. I mean, they have five shutouts in the playoffs. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a world's record. <laughs> and you're pitching against the best teams in baseball. So, that's where I think the enthusiasm lays with, with the Indians is their pitching staff. And like you say, they haven't even – Crosco hasn't even pitched. They're a solid stars pitch yeah. one inning. Yeah. So that's See, where I think the Indians are – you know, I think they're the best staff in baseball. I don't think they're the best team in baseball at this point. And I, I hope they win it this year because I'm not sure they'll be able to do it to get this okay. far next year. Now, I have always been high on Josh Tomlin. You've seen him pitch a couple of times now. What's your opinion of Josh Tomlin? Well, he gives up. To, I mean, what he led the league in home runs. I think this year, giving up home runs. And he and he gave he gave up seventy five percent of them in one month. Well, whatever the number, it's it's a lot of home runs. Now, right. it, it indicates to me that he if he can come in to this environment and pitch this well as he has, again, I think he's getting a lot of good coaching and a lot of good scouting. They've picked out, you know, the weaknesses of teams that he's faced, and he's, he's pitched extraordinarily well. He kind of reminds me of a Bronson Arroyo who would pitch really great but give up, you know, 35 home runs in a year. But he gave up a lot of solo home runs because he didn't walk anybody. And that's what a lot of good pitchers do. They can, You know, Robin Roberts led the world in home runs, but he never gave up. He never walked anybody, so he gave up a lot of solo home runs. And he's always around the plate. Right. So that that is 
but I think he's a good pitcher. I don't think he's a great pitcher. Uh, I, I think he's probably overperforming in this environment. I'm not sure I would rely on him next year as, a, as you know my number two or three starter for sure. Oh no, he's not going to be the number two or three starter. I think he's right there where he needs to be four or five. Yeah, yeah. In, in yeah, that case, you know, I think he's fine. <clears throat> you know, I, I've always been high on Josh Tomlin, even when he had. The Tommy John surgery, I was hoping the Indians wouldn't give up on him. They had moved him into the bullpen and, for, you know, right after the surgery, but he ended up winning the starting spot this year over Trevor Bauer coming out of training camp. So, I mean, it, it, I've, I've always been high on Josh Tomlin. Well, tomorrow night, Tomlin pitches against Area in game six. If it has to go to game seven, it's Kyle Hendricks against Corey Kluber. You know, we talked about this last week, Mark, uh, what our predictions were in the World Series. I predicted the Cubs to win it in seven games. I certainly hope I'm wrong. But now, I mean, let's go ahead and look at it now. You've got game six and seven in Cleveland. What do you think? I think the the Cubs are going to win game six and the Indians are going to win game seven. Only because you know, of if, the pitching matchups. I, I, I don't think... Um, I think Ariada is going to be better than Tomlin tomorrow night, and that may not be the rest of the year, or you know, over a period of a year. But I think tomorrow, it's the backs to the wall, that kind of thing. And the, thing, the same thing is going to happen on Saturday. I, I think, or the, the, the seventh game, uh, I, I think the Cubs uh, will, will not be able to match uh, Kluber. I, I just don't think they're going to match up against him. But I mean, this this has been an exciting series. It, it's it's going to be down to the wire, old cliche. But uh, if I had put money on it, and maybe I will, uh, I think <laughs> I think uh, the Cubs tomorrow night, and uh, then the Indians on on uh, Wednesday. Okay, if it does go to Game Seven, again, let's let's end the show with the thing that we started it off with: the ratings. If this goes to Game Seven, I think this is going to be the highest rated Game Seven ever in Major League Baseball history. Oh, I agree. I mean, I think there's there's so many Cub fans uh, worldwide. Honestly, uh, they're all over the place. So I think that, and then then the average fan, I, I think uh, the people like Linda Jordan who don't follow baseball, they're captivated by the fact that the Cubs, the lovable losers, have a chance to win a World Series, and that's the, the, the drama there. Uh, and then of course you know, the, the Indians have been uh, a team that the people followed as well. So. It, it, I think it's really neat that you don't have New York or L.A. in a series like this, and it's still growing the way it is. Absolutely. On this day in baseball history, what happened, Mark? I'll even give uh, you the year. Okay. 1990. Uh, the Reds won the World Series, and Re, uh, Jose Rijo earned his MVP. Almost. Wow. You're, you're close to being correct. Oh. On October 31st, 1990, the Cincinnati Reds, visited the White House, and George H. Bush after sweeping the Oakland A's in the World Series. Yeah, well, I was close. It was, it was a Reds year in <laughs> 1990s, put it that way. That's right. So next week is our final show, and we'll be able to talk about an Indians win or a Cubs win. We'll do that next week. Go Indians. All right. Thanks, Mark. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Thanks a lot for joining us here this evening. Of course, tomorrow night, Game 6 of the World Series, and then Wednesday night, Game 7, if necessary. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show. 
But most of all, our thanks to you for listening. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good night, everybody. We'll talk to you again next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show at 9. Until then, go try. His kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born. Marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball. Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. Man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey.